Welcome to Season 2 of Conscious Conversations, where we aim to inspire deep and meaningful interactions that grow into a community of practice that is committed to healing, resilience and expansion. In this season, our focus is on Africa, the fountain of humanity, the Great Mother Africa, a land research is increasingly confirming to be home of the first humans to evolve. Research also confirms that early humans migrated out of Africa into Asia about 2 million years ago and into Europe about 1.5 million years ago. The long and short of it, Africa is where it started. In this season's Conscious Conversations, we speak with spiritual teachers and thought leaders about the ways in which we can unearth the wisdom of the old that calls us back to listen, learn, remember, restore and heal. I am Mabatomunzi. Welcome. African culture is vast, vibrant and colorful. Africans are known for their warmth, vibrant culture, traditions, religions, food, art, dance and music, among many things. While it has been decades since African countries have gained their independence from colonial rule and oppression, the legacies of colonization continue to permeate in society through different institutions and economic structures, which have had a major role in the unprogressive and unproductive ways and forms of being African people have taken up. In this conversation, we speak to Tebe Igalafeng about the ties that continue to bind us as Africans and the ways in which we can be more deliberate in uniting the continent and its people, reimagining solutions that steer us into collective action, rebuilding an Africa alive with possibilities for all who live on it. Tebe Igalafeng is a global African thought leader and authoritative voice in branding in Africa. His distinguished career started over 25 years ago at Colgate Palmolive in New York. He later became Chief Marketing Officer for Nike for Africa. Tebe has won over 75 awards in branding and marketing communication globally. He is the founder of the award-winning Brand Leadership Group, a pan-African branding advisory firm, Brand Africa, an intergenerational movement to inspire a brand-led agenda to drive Africa's image, reputation and competitiveness. Brand Africa 100, Africa's best brand, the widely referenced and only pan-African survey and ranking of brands in Africa, an Africa Brand Leadership Academy to build the capacity for Africa-focused brand leadership. Born in Kimberley, South Africa, he has been to over 110 countries, every country in Africa and every continent in the world, which has enriched his appreciation for the rich diversity of the continent and state of brands across Africa and the world. Good morning, Tebe. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I know you are very busy, but I really appreciate the time you have given me 
and our listeners to have this conversation. You have traveled to more than 110 countries worldwide and 54 countries on the continent. I saw you've just come back from an island somewhere. How has that been like? The travel or the island. I think the traveling has been quite uh, an uh, an eye opener, if you will, uh, because you know it it's been a, a reminder of what binds us together as 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 people, not just as humans. Uh, it's been able to, for me certainly, to uh, to reflect on the connectedness uh, of the continent uh, where we together and where we differ. Uh, but most importantly, uh, it's made me alive. Uh, to the opportunity that exists and as well, and when I say opportunity, really the opportunity to lift others uh, that exist worldwide, not just in Africa. Mm. So you have a very interesting career. I mean, the work you've done since um, you started at Colgate uh, over 25 years ago has really been pioneering. Can you please just tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, uh, where you come from, what inspires you? Well, I'm from uh, born and raised in Kimberley. I went to a Catholic school my whole life from, I was reflecting on it the other day that I actually spent my entire school life from kindergarten to matric in one yard. Uh, at St. Boniface uh, Precinct uh, uh, Catholic uh, School. And it's quite interesting when I reflected on this background this past week uh, that uh, my school was at the center of, on the left hand, on the right hand side, if I'm approaching the school, on the right hand side was a white uh, community. Uh, on, uh, on the left hand side was an Indian community. And, and uh, behind me, when I get into school, is a black community. And I'm not talking by distance. I'm talking literally neighbors uh, like that. Uh, so it's quite interesting that um, uh, how, uh, even in the midst of all that, uh, we, uh, when we should, when we're being separated, we were so connected in many ways. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the schools, the Catholic schools were taught by Irish, uh, and, and, and South Africans, uh, served by Indians, uh, in the shops, uh, and working for white people on the right hand side. Uh, so, uh, that's where I come from. So I come from there and I started my, my schooling at my postgraduate schooling at, uh, Wits in, in Johannesburg and, uh, finished it off um uh in in the US so with an undergraduate uh, and a and a master's in marketing business strategy for all. And then um much later recently I then did another master's uh, in law. Uh, so that's my, that's really my, my, my big, if you will, my, 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 mo- my foundational background. Uh, uh, one of four kids, uh, raised by grandparents. I don't know how, how much that shapes anybody else's life. Uh, because, you know, as a township kid, we all grow up with migrant parents, where your parents are, whether even if it's professional migrants, because my mother's a professional migrant, a nurse who lives in another part of town, get to see her. Uh, only once a quarter or, or best uh, once every second or once uh, twice or twice a year. So that shaped who I am. Uh, it shaped a lot of who I am in terms of the fact that uh, even growing up, I could, uh, I participated in so many things. I was trying to list them the other day that I did chess, I did choir, I did piano, I did violin, I did, uh, uh, choral, I did sprinting, I did football, I did tennis. Uh, and, um, and I never quite looked at any of those as failures when I left them. I left them, I, I looked at them ra- rather as, as just tick boxes to look at what I'm good at and what I'm not 
good at or rather what am I passionate about and what I'm not passionate about. And it have to shape how I approach all of life, to approach all of life without fear of, try, of trying anything new and without looking back at anything as a failure. Mm. Talking about what the things you're passionate about, it's quite clear that you are very passionate about Africa. I mean, before it became popular to travel Africa, you had been traveling Africa. You had been advocating for Africa. What inspired that? What's interesting about this is um, by 2009, I was asked to reflect on um on what it is that we need to do differently for the continent in order for the, in order for, for us to change the image of the continent. And, um, and I remember at, at that point in 2009 or eight, I then started thinking, yes, what is it about this continent? What, what should we do? What, what is so difficult about this continent? And, um, and I started looking at the parallels. I wrote an article on the parallels between how the world sees us and how we can see ourselves. Uh, how the world sees us as a place to extract minerals and, uh, and kill each other to get the diamonds and all those. But the parallel should really be, why can't we look at ourselves as a place that has produced uh, the most precious stones in, uh, in, in, in the world? So looking at the opportunity rather than the, uh, uh, rather than the, uh, the, the negative consequence of where we are. So I really started looking at that. Uh, I spent time to write that article, to reflect on all those, and I started reflecting on what other Africans were saying. Uh, you know, I looked at, uh, I think one of the quotes I used there was by Fela Kuti, who said, I must identify with Africa, then I'll have an identity. So there was a rising consciousness, because I've been out of corporate now at that stage for seven years or so. Uh, and there was a rising consciousness uh, in terms of um, uh, uh, what the continent means. But I'd been to the, I've been to part of the continent. I've been to Burkina Faso in the 19-something to uh, to watch Bafana Bafana play. I've been to Kenya. I've been to uh, Nigeria. So I've been to parts of the continent already. But I was not so invested. But I guess, I, and I looked at the continent those years as us versus them, like the rest of the South Africa does. I looked at, uh, oh my goodness, we are so advanced, we are so far, we are so much better. Uh, but, but when I began to write that article, I began to change uh, as, a, as a person to begin to say that uh, maybe it's not us versus them, because whatever happens to an African anyway, um, it affects all Africans everywhere. And uh, the perceptions are certainly around that. Uh, and then the second one was... Um, when I was asked to write an article in 2012 or 2013 about brands in the continent. And to do that, I then decided, let me do an interview with, uh, with Samsung. And, uh, and I did an interview with the CEO of Samsung. And, uh, and I met him at his office. Uh, KK Park was his name. And KK Park, um, uh, and I said to KK Park, what makes you so successful? You've been everywhere in the continent. So I said, your, your brand is everywhere in the continent. Everybody's got a Samsung. You've displaced a Nokia uh, as the pre, uh, the, the dominant phone in the continent. And he said to me, oh, I said, what makes you successful? He said, what makes me successful is because me as a Korean uh, selling, serving African consumers, I've decided that it's important for me to know the continent. Uh, and I, it said to me, he told me that he'd been to every single African country. He explained to me how he, how he did it. He said to me, I've lived with them, I ate with them, I slept in the houses, I watched the lights go down, and I didn't uh, blame it on incompetence of government, but rather I looked at the opportunity of God to provide solar uh, energy. And I says, why don't our products rather respond to the conditions and use the resources that are available? And I left the meeting, and I spoke to my friend Omar in London. I I said, Omar, I've just met somebody 
who has been to every country. You and I have just done less. I say, how many of you done? He says, I'm 23. I say, geez, I've only done like 10 or 15. We need to do something. Omar. I don't feel like an African because the whole Korean is more African than me. He's got a better perspective on the continent. And those two, if you will, instances uh, began to shape who I am. And then the third one, actually, uh, maybe there will be three. Uh, the third one will be, uh, will be Tabumbeki. Uh, when Tabumbeki did his speech, uh, in 2003, uh, for the, uh, for, for, for the South African tourism in Daba. He did, he did it, uh, in Daba and he spoke and he painted such a beautiful, uh, picture of the continent. And he said if he had time to travel the continent, he will, um, and he started talking about he'll go to Ngorongoro craters, uh, and I was like, Ngorongoro crater in, in Tanzania, what is that? You know, he'll go, he'll go to the home of Saski Parkman in Eastern Cape. He'll go to this, uh, sand dunes of Namibia. And I was like, wow. I was like the you know he painted such a beautiful picture of the continent. I said to myself, I want to see that continent that he sees because I want to see it the way he sees it. So those ex so those um, those experiences in many ways began to change um, uh, how I look at at the continent uh, and inspired me to travel a journey, uh, which ultimately then I, I decided uh, first I must immerse myself in the continent, understand it. Uh, and never carry South Africa with me and leave South Africa behind. And then secondarily, then I ask myself, what is it that I do every day? And I said, but I'm in the business of brands. So I said, how can, why can't I use the, the work that I do? Uh, as a vehicle to change the continent? So that's how I then went on this brand led, uh, African Renaissance. It's quite interesting that from what you are saying, I can almost extract like three different areas where as an African young woman, I feel like we fall short. The South Africans do have this tendency of thinking that it's them and us when looking at other countries on the continent. How do you think we can overcome the them and us narrative. I mean, we see it, well, I see it all the time. You go on Twitter and we, we can see it. Any violent thing happens and fellow Africans are like blamed for it. You look at the level of unemployment in the country, right? South Africans feel that certain foreigners in inverted commas are taking their jobs. So from an economic point of view, we see just how disconnected we are, how we are not seeing each other's struggles as a collective struggle because people who are leaving their countries are obviously coming to South Africa hoping for better opportunities, right? Um, hoping for better living conditions and um, South Africans also feeling aggrieved to say, but we are also struggling. These are our issues. That's number one. Number two, you spoke about taking pride in the in in the resources the natural resources that we have as a continent i always wonder why is it from a south african perspective that we've got great resources gold diamonds they get extracted from our land and they're taken abroad and we have to buy them back at more than double um the value there is no skills transfer from those who are acquiring these resources from Africa. Why 
is our government not or the continent not prioritizing things like uh, beneficiation of some sort? Why are we not prioritizing investors teaching South Africans or, or investing in the people and not only taking and i see this across um the continent i also uh, picked up that uh, you know the commonwealth is returning some of the resources taken uh, many years ago from the continent so these are economic issues that cause so much fighting like so much scarcity amongst us as as africans how do we fix that how do we Correct. How do we see each other differently? And then how do we reclaim our economic wealth? Well, I think let me answer the two questions or two or three questions. The first one is um, uh, in terms of how we uh, ask for the STEM uh, as, as scenario. I think to me, the reason South Africans, for example, um, have this mentality of ask for the STEM, uh, it's, um, it's, it's perhaps a, a combination of few things. One is, uh, I'll call it amnesia. Uh, so South Africa, South Africa has forgotten how it achieved its freedom. It's forgotten that it achieved its freedom, uh, through the humanity, the sacrifice, uh, of, of countries such as, uh, Zambia through Kenya, the sacrifice of the Nigerias, of the Tanzanias, uh, and many other countries which helped to contribute, which contributed to the struggle, both physically in terms of uh, providing armaments, uh, providing accommodation, but also, uh, in terms of, uh, spiritually and mentally by, by encouraging, by being out there and telling the story and fighting for story. So there's a, there's a, there's an amnesia on the South African, uh, uh side. But I think that amnesia has been caused primarily by the failure of, uh, the South African, um, leadership to, uh, to inculcate or to create or to incorporate into our curricula the history of South Africa so that it becomes an ever consciousness in terms of uh, how the struggle was won uh, so that everybody then gets to understand the connectedness or the contribution of the rest of the continent to, to South Africa. So that's the first part. The second part is, uh, is the entitlement is uh, because South Africa is a nanny state uh, with almost 70% dependent on the state. Uh, you know, with that 30% or so on, on, on Sasa, on, on, on the dole, and another 35, 40% unemployed, who are willing to work but unemployed, perhaps either on the, on grants or any other things, uh, or perhaps really depending on the state to help them, whether it's medical aid or whatever it is. So you, you look at a country, uh, of 70%, um, dependent on the state and only 10% uh, of the country contributing to the tax that helps to fund the 90% uh, of the country. So what then, what that has done, it is, uh, it has made South Africans, the rest of us South Africans a bit, uh, uh, lazier than we should be, uh, and not as entrepreneurial, not as, uh, uh, as resourceful as we can be, or as we were uh, when we fought for the struggle. Uh, but once we gained the independence, we felt that, well, we, we have earned this. This is ours. The state must work for me. Uh, those who can must work for me. Uh, and what that has done, uh, it has created uh, a scenario such that when you now have uh, economic migrants, like, for example, from Zimbabwe, from Malawi, from uh, in particular those countries uh, who come here to uh, contribute to the South African economy, but 
of course, yes, they're working for themselves to uh, to to support their families uh, back in in Malawi, Zimbabwe, and other countries. Uh, when that scenario happens, and Somalia as well, for example, and the way they've done that is either they're working, either they've created, either they work for somebody, uh, or they are. Uh, uh, creating businesses, whether it's uh, corner shops or all those things. What that's done is created an animosity by South Africans who now look at these people as taking their jobs. But the truth of the matter is nobody's taking anybody's job. It is us South Africans uh, who, uh, who, who have refused to, um, to accept what we think are quote-unquote lower jobs. Uh, and we have, uh, and we also think that the government, uh, uh, must work for us and owe us. So to me, those are the two biggest problems that's facing us in terms of, uh, uh, who we are as a continent, which then affects the common things which you would have expect from the continent. And, and the history of South Africa's liberation and the history of the continent, uh, uh, the, the struggle for independence, uh, for the continent, you, we would have learned a few things out of that. We would have learned one, uh, humanity. The fact that I cannot would sacrifice these people for your country uh, that says that, you know, uh, we care for other human beings. Uh, also, the sense of community, the fact that you have the, uh, the frontline states coming together, uh, coming together uh, to fight for, 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 South, for South Africa uh, shows you that there was a sense of community. The fact that it was an AU, uh, it was a sense of, guy. if we are going to win this, we are going to have to win it together as a community. So it's part of a fundamental culture of who we are as African. The other one is resourcefulness, creativity, that we became resourceful. We are resourceful people. I mean, I was watching TV uh, the other day, and, they were, and, and some people were saying they, have, they don't get water for sometimes in this the dry season, for months. But they find ways to survive because we're, we're very, we are a people who, by nature, are very resilient. So that resilience, um, uh, resilience enables people to be resourceful as well, to find ways uh, uh, to, uh, to survive. And most importantly, uh, the other uh, key trait that binds us as communist Africans is the, uh, is, is the sense of sacrifice or the ability to sacrifice to sacrifice for a greater good or to serve for a later good. So to me, those five attributes are quite key in terms of what I've learned as well from the continent, but also what what will help South Africans uh, uh, to understand where we are relative to the rest of the continent. It starts with understanding, and it starts with putting yourself in their space. And then when you understand and you put yourself in a space and you recall it, your history, you will understand those five key principles or that attributes or traits, which is one of resilience. We're a very resilient people. Uh, humanity, we're a very humane people. One person suffering elsewhere is my suffering. Uh, we're a communal uh, a, a, a com- continent. Uh, and a communal means that we come together for the greater good. Uh, we are a very resourceful people. We're a very resourceful people. And we always sacrifice for the greater good. That's what binds us as Africans. And if you understand that as South Africa, as part of our history, as part of our collective identity with the continent, as fellow says, if you don't identify the continent, then you will not have an identity. So, uh, what, why are we failing with our resources? Your other questions, um, when we've got so many, we're so rich in resources, the world's number one, uh, supplier of platinum and many other uh, resources, but yet, uh, and we can't beneficiate. Well, there's examples, for example, if you look at Botswana, uh, where the Botswana now, where they brought all the operations into Botswana to speak to the idea really that, that we can, that we can, we can mine them here, cut them here, polish them here, 
and design them here and sell them to the world. So that's, uh, that's an example that it is possible. The second example is, um, uh, is, um, the second example is, um, is now with the Africa Free Trade Continental Area Agreement, which came into effect, uh, 2020. Uh, when, when, when it is really at its best, right now it's at its best in theory, but when it's at its best in practice, we will then begin to see the ability of Africans to create uh, businesses and brands which are able to move around the continent uh, and we then will be able to go back to what we did well as Africans, which is the concept of bartering. That I will focus on doing XYZ and you do XYZ and we and 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 we so it'll become an economy a, a much more uh, modern way of of bartering. Uh, but uh, on the principles of uh, of an African thing that still happens in places like um uh, like Togo, for example, where they meet on the market uh, and they'll butter. They say, you you grow this, um, I make this, I build this, let's share, and then we do this. Obviously, AFCFT will make it easier to be able to move that across, across borders. Mm. I like that you speak about our resilience, humanity, which really speaks to Ubuntu. I know the word has been overused and misused um, many, many times. However, in my observation, um, when I read about the different countries in Africa, when I meet different people from different parts of the continent, I find that sense of humanity when we are not fighting for our survival is something that is common amongst us as as Africans. And I truly believe that if we were to remember our sense of humanity, and I think perhaps if we were to to remember to take pride in who we are, we would achieve so much more as a people from the continent, remembering the value we bring to each other, and perhaps also not you know, using simple things like the type of clothes we wear. Why is it that our fabrics, our style, our fashion is reserved for a heritage day, for instance, in South Africa? Why are we not able to, to see each other as potentially countries that we can learn from each other that look to for solutions. I mean, you look at Nigeria, you you look at Kenya, they are growing in terms of the economy, right? And yet, us as South Africa, we're still lagging behind. But I think it is mostly because there is a disconnect in terms of who we are as Black people as Africans, which kind of makes me think about um, Steve Biko's black consciousness. Do you think if we were to be a bit more aware of who we are and we took pride in that, we would achieve this collective, you know, the ability to grow together, the ability to tap on each other's resources as Africans? Do you think we'd do that better? Of course, of course. I mean, that, that is what's holding us back. What is holding us back? If you look at, um, if you look at, uh, Europe, for example, uh, intra-Africa trade in Europe is up to like 60, 70%. That has enabled them to trade with each other. 
because they understand the relative strengths that they have. They understand that Germany will offer them engineering excellence. They understand that uh, uh, England will offer them um, uh, uh, traditional traditional excellence. They understand that France will offer them uh, the romantic excellence uh, or style or design. And they understand those are they, if they have those centers of excellences around the continent, around their continent, they'll be able to to maximize their opportunities. So that's that. And all those are founded on what I've just said uh, in terms of our resilience, humanity, community, um, um, resourcefulness, and and sacrifice. If we if we build on those on those attributes. Those three attributes, uh, which are in, which are part of who we are as Africans, will be able to go much further. Uh, you know, I think there's an African proverb that says, um, um, "You can go, um, uh, you can go far. Um, uh, 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 you can go uh, alone. You can go far, but I think together we can go further, or something of that nature." I can't remember yes, what it says, yes. uh, but it's a beautiful African proverb that speaks to uh, when you just come together, how much further uh, you can go. As a uh, as a people and as a and as a person uh, as well. So I think if we build on those, we'll be able to go far as a continent. So you see all these things that I've mentioned. These five attributes they've got nothing to do with money. They've got nothing. They've got everything to do with the with the sense of a self of understanding who you are. You know, you mentioned the because and all those. The because of all what the because because for example, what tried to do is to build uh, the self consciousness and this African consciousness, this Black consciousness and understanding of who you are and how that on its own it is a strength uh, and it is not a weakness uh, it is not, uh, and, and the, continent, the problem that we have in Africa, you spoke about the fashions and all those type of things. Fashion of Africa is that we think that, uh, as Ngugi Wationg was uh, once remarked, we think that when we are speaking better English and when we wear better uh, international fashions, we think that success. Uh, whereas, as Ngugi said, Ngugi says the man who can uh, speak the other language uh, better than his home language is uh, enslaved, but the man who speaks the other his language well and can speak the others as well is a man with limitless opportunities. Mm. So, in in terms of that which is not financial, because I think we tend to use money um, as a reason for not doing many things, right? What are the traditional? Um, or religious or spiritual practices that you have observed across Africa where you find similarities in what we do? Is there a common thread of, you know, how we see a human being? You know, cause I know in, in most African countries, we believe that there's a spirit behind this body. Um, how have you observed uh, different practices? Well, I mean, maybe there's two parts to it. Um, the first part to it is, uh, if you will, the formal spiritual uh, outlets called religion. And you look at the continent as a place where big numbers, uh, two thirds, a third or so um, are Islam, uh, and another another third, perhaps uh, another half, uh, maybe Christianity and a whole lot of others, maybe uh, uh, believers in something. So, so that's a part of formal spiritual outlets. And then you've got the, the traditional spiritual outlets. So anything that is done by um, 
by an African is looked at as monoyo or something that is uh, that is not, um, uh, if you will, that that should not be uh, celebrated in, in in public. You know, if a credo mutua, for example, if a credo mutua. Uh, a credo, people look down on Credo Mutra because he practices, he speaks more from an Afrocentric perspective, from traditional um, practices, from where we come from. You look at uh, Kotwasa, for example. So to me, that's the second part, which is that uh, uh, the traditional expression of, of, of spirituality, uh, if you will, because we believe that's what heals, that's what uh, renews, and that's what fixes many of, of the problems. And then perhaps the third one is just to be, it's just a general believe uh, that there's a higher being uh, and and a higher being that uh, that explains uh, the state of the world and the state of the, of, of being uh, and and should be and should be acknowledged. So that's sort of how I look at it. If I go through the continent and uh, and I've looked at I've seen how, for example, uh, religions sit side by side with traditional practices uh, and and, uh, and are not at conflict, and one is not looked down at all. Mm. You know, the world is overpopulated and Africa is the fastest growing population. I think in the next decade or so, we will be having major problems with climate change, how we handle the earth and its resources. It's obviously problematic as we have come to understand. But I, from different material I've, I've read, I've come to understand that Africans at some point observed nature and respected the earth. And so they saw this relationship between the earth and communities. Do you think there's an opportunity for us to find that again by going into who we are as a people, looking at our traditional practices, how we used to plan our agriculture, you know, how we used to treat livestock, how we used to not necessarily take more than what we needed as communities. Do you think we are being presented with an opportunity to do things differently do you think um, there are solutions we can offer the world in terms of who we really are, not who we have been colonized to believe we are? But if we were to go back to um, how our forefathers lived um, in communion or, you know, this relationship between people and, and nature and how nature was respected. Do you think there are any opportunities that exist there for us to change the, the narrative? You know, the, the difficult, the difficult thing that we're facing now as the world, not just as Africans, unfortunately as Africans as well. Uh, I mean, if you look at Africa, for example, we've got, uh, incredibly arable land, but we don't have the skills. We, we used to have our traditional skills of how we used to deal with, 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 the, with the land. But unfortunately, greed has overtaken. Greed and ignorance, uh, greed and ignorance has, have killed us. Uh, because from a greed in terms of, like you said it earlier, that we are taking from the earth more than we are we're giving back to it. Ignorance is in that we do not know, um, uh, we have lost uh, an understanding of sustainability in terms of uh, the relationship between man and nature. 
uh, or, uh, or, or, or how to live in harmony with nature. Because if we destroy nature, uh, you know, we will never, we'll never be able to fix it. I will never be able to fix it again. And that's the challenge that we're facing right now, that we really need to fix uh, our relationship with nature. Uh, because it's not just, it's not just about, uh, about food, uh, on the table when you fix nature. Uh, but remember what nature provides us, the air that we breathe. Uh, it provides us, uh, sustainability for, for the fauna and the flora, uh, the animals that roam the street that keep the, uh, our nature where we are and enable, uh, enable humanity to, uh, to exist. So right now we're at a crossroads. Where, um, where as a, as a continent, uh, if we don't reclaim our land, uh, particularly because we still have a bit more land than anybody else, if we don't re- reclaim our land and protect, uh, our nature and nurture, uh, and nurture our nature rather, uh, we are going to be in trouble. Of course, we can teach the world. We can teach the world only if we are confident, uh, and we don't look down at who we are and where we come from. The challenge we face now is we've looked at everything that we are as primitive. Over the years, you have worked hard at speaking positively about the continent and not only speaking about it, but you've, you've been uh, involved with starting initiatives such as uh, Africa's Best Brands and Buy Africa, Build Africa. And you recently launched um, Africa's Best Places, which is an initiative aimed at recognizing and ranking the best places in Africa. What has that been like and, and what were your key learnings from those different initiatives? Well, I've learned one, one thing important. What I've learned uh, over the uh, over over the years uh, about about our relationship with brands in the continent, for example, when I started the survey in 2012, Africa's best brands certainly uh, in 2012, uh, and up to now in the 20, in the 12 years or 10 12 years, I've learned a couple of things. One, I've learned that um, 20% of the brands that Africans admire. And uh, only 20% of the brands that Africans admire are African. So it means that there's an 80% opportunity for us to turn around this opportunity. And if we don't believe in ourselves, we will not be able to believe in anything that is made in Africa. And we reject a lot of times the made in Africa narrative. And I think the study has shown in many ways that there is that wholesome rejection of, uh, of anything that is made, um, um, made in Africa. So I've learned, so, so that's what I've gone on this journey now. I've said the journey that I've gone on now. So on the travel, the travel has exposed me to the, even the state of brands in the continent. So I can tell for sure what I've seen, what I've read, what I see people consuming, what I see them celebrating, how I see them adorning themselves. Uh, so to validate what I now looked at scientifically for my research, that 20% of the brands that Africans admire, that only 20% of the brands that Africans admire are non-African, that there's this rejection of who we are as Africans. So we need to fix that. We need to fix who we are as a people. We need to fix uh, our, our we need to go back to to what made us Africans. But we also need to understand that we cannot beat Italians at being Italian, French at being French, and English at being English, or Americans at being American. We can beat them all on how to be African. And in order to beat them at being African, you must first accept that you're an African and celebrate Africa and understand that Africa is not inferior, it is different. Just as England is not superior, it is different from the rest of the world. That is so powerful. I'm amazed by the fact that you 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 mentioned the word reject. In the work that I do, I'm a healer, I'm a trained sangoma, I realize that a lot of people 
reject themselves and are seeking external validation. And this is what I'm observing uh, from us as a, as a collective, as South Africans, uh, particularly young South Africans. You look nicer when you are wearing a European brand. You look uh, this when you, your, your, your success is in relation to American standards and so on. So it's quite interesting that you use that specific word because I think it is very fitting for where most young people are. Um, I feel that a lot of the time we reject ourselves uh, in so many ways. We think we are not good enough. And as a result, we, we don't even bother to do what we, we think we are capable of doing. Yeah, so that's a very interesting observation, I think. Thank you so much, Tebe, for for being with me during this conversation. I think what I would like to ask you, my final request is, what would you say to any young African? How how do they take pride in who they are? How do we fix this? And I know there probably isn't a quick fix solution, but where do we start? I think it's, to me, it starts by buying a mirror. So every single African needs to buy a mirror and uh, and look at themselves and reflect on themselves and reflect on who they are. Uh, they need to get deeper into their souls and understand what what makes us who we are. And they need to accept that. They need to accept that we are Africans. But I think most importantly, they also need to get out of their out of their comfort zone, out of their homes, and get to see the rest of the world, of the continent, particularly, and to try and see what binds us, what 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 unites us as uh, as Africans. Because I think it is uh, Kwame Nkrumah said, the forces that unite us are greater than the forces that divide us. So if we can understand that forces that unite us, we'll be able to. Go far as a people, and uh, finally, by understanding that uh, that our success, our our, our our success as people, will only be greater if we work together. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. I truly hope you learned something new, felt something, and were inspired to cultivate a more conscious life. I'd love to connect with you hear your thoughts and story. Please feel free to reach out. Our contact details can be found on muntzem.co.za. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.